Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're heading into our third year of the COVID-19 pandemic. Since its start, the virus has caused close to 900,000 deaths in the U.S. and many, many more hospitalizations and long-term health problems. There's a lot of confusing and even wrong information about its causes and treatments. We'll address many of those in the next hour. Do you have questions about the pandemic? We want to hear from you right after the news. National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The upcoming Super Bowl is expected to bring one of the year's peak times in sports betting. Increasingly, tribal casinos are hoping customers will make a sports wager there. Chuck Kornbach of station WUWM in Milwaukee reports on a tribe in Wisconsin now offering sports betting. The Oneida Nation Casino near Green Bay recently added 20 electronic kiosks offering sports betting. The tribe's chief financial officer for gaming, Chad Foose, describes the options on the kiosk touch screen. On the left-hand side, um, you have all your major league sports, all your collegiate sports. You can make bets on the day of a game, or you can make bets on um, what is called a futures pick. So if you want to predict who's going to win the Super Bowl in February, you can make that bet also. Upstairs in his office, Foose said sports has a big following in Wisconsin. We wanted to match or blend our sports fanatic with leisure gaming to give our customers and potential customers even a better experience. Foose says the Oneida Casino offers a safe and closely regulated way to bet on sports. After an agreement last year, the Oneida have the only legalized sports betting venue in Wisconsin, though the St. Croix Chippewa have since reached a similar deal with the state. And the CEO of the Forest County Potawatomi Hotel and Casino in Milwaukee, Dominic Ortiz, recently told a business group that he's interested in a new agreement. We'll bring sports betting. We're going to challenge Chicago with the assets and the liveliness of the excitement that we're going to bring to Potawatomi. A few other tribal casinos in the U.S. have started offering sports betting since the federal government gave its okay four years ago. But some tribes with gaming facilities say they're holding off while they determine if adding sports betting is worth it financially. The Oneida already sense more profits. They're building a 2,000-square-foot sports betting lounge at their main casino and planning to let gamblers place a sports bet while on designated tribal land using an app on their phone. For National Native News, I'm Chuck Quirnbach. Some Native Americans living in the United Kingdom were instrumental in a campaign to eliminate a Native American-themed mascot and logo used by an English rugby team. Two years ago, fans of the Exeter Rugby Club began seeking the changes and invited Leandra Neffen, who's Omaha living in England, along with some other Native Americans, to be part of the movement. She says last year, the team ended the use of its mascot. The Big Chief mascot, which was a kind of a caricature cartoon figure dressed in a war bonnet um, doing the tomahawk chop and the fans would wear war bonnets these kind of fake brightly colored um, feather headdresses um, banging a drum doing the tomahawk chop chants 
Um, and so it's all very stereotypical type imagery. Last week, Exeter team officials announced the end of its Native American themed logo. A new brand launching this summer draws from Celtic culture. They had actually this rich history um, of Celtic chiefs who were um, a part of their ancestry, their genetic makeup that they could actually be celebrating and using as an opportunity to highlight in schools, to educate the people of Devon and Exeter around their own ancestry without having to co-opt uh, a tribe or uh, a people who had no connection to Exeter Chiefs Rugby Club. The logo will change from a Native American with a headdress to a Celtic helmet known to be worn in and around 300 BC. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications for the upcoming school year are now accepted at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Support by the Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center, dedicated to cancer research, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous population. A no-charge online risk assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org slash assessme. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. It looks like the surge of the Omicron COVID-19 variant is starting to ease up. However, another version of Omicron is merging in a handful of states. If there's a key takeaway as we head into the third year of the coronavirus pandemic, it's that the threat of the virus that has claimed close to 880,000 lives in the U.S. is evolving. Moreover, it's important to keep up to date with good information from reliable medical sources. One statistic we don't often hear about COVID is that for every death associated with the virus, many last week in JAMA shows three quarters of people treated for COVID in intensive care continue to suffer symptoms a year later. Today, we're getting updates on the latest information regarding variants, booster vaccines, and safety measures. And as always, we'd like to hear from you. What continues to confuse you about the pandemic? Are you counting on more booster vaccines in the future? Call us at 1-800-996-2848 to share your thoughts on the air. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us today from Duluth, Minnesota, we have Dr. Mary Owen. She's the director of the Center of American Indian and Minority Health at the University of Minnesota and the current president of the Association of American Indian Physicians. Ashley Slinkett, welcome back for another Native America Calling, Dr. Owen. Thanks for inviting me, Sean. And joining us for is Timothy Nuvonyama. He's the chairman of the Hopi tribe. Welcome to Native America Calling as well, Chairman. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate that. You bet. You bet. Dr. Owen, I'd like to start today with you. And here we are staring down the barrel on year three of the global pandemic. I think for many of us, the big question right now is, 
Are we nearing the end? Is there light at the end of the tunnel or not? Dr. Owen, where are we right now? I wish I could say with certainty, but I can't. Um, we, a lot of us are hoping that Omicron will be, you know, a form of a vaccine in itself and signal a waning days of this pandemic, but there's no way that we can guarantee it. As you said, there are, another, there are other variants and we just don't know how that variant, if uh, Omicron and Delta and the boosters and the vaccines together will ward off those other variants. Um, fingers crossed um, or, you know, a lot of hope that we'll be ending it, but there's no way that we could, I don't think we can safely say right now that we're ending this pandemic. Okay. Well, I know in many places the Omicron variant has peaked or it's on the decline. Does it appear to be a shorter cycle than previous versions of the virus? And and if so, why is that? It does seem to have uh, both a sharper rise. I mean, it came on a lot faster than Delta and is is ending faster. And it might be in part because our, um, you know, again, our previous vaccinations and even Delta helped um, ward off the uh, severity. Or it might just be this variant itself. It has less of the uh, the factors that made it more severe and longer lasting than uh, Delta or the other variants prior to that. Um, I'm not quite sure why. And again, it is hopeful. It is hopeful that it's uh, toward, that it helps us get closer to the end and that it also provided some form of immunity against uh, other variants, but time will tell. Now, White House Chief Medical Officer Dr. Anthony Fauci said this month that just about everybody will get infected with some version of the coronavirus. And when I hear stuff like that, I just kind of throw up my hands and think, why should I even bother trying to avoid it? Is that a smart way to think or not? Uh, not at all. Because Al- he's just talking about the ine- what, what feels like inevitability right now. And, that, and also, you know, take away some of the... Uh, feelings that people might get if they do get it. You know, it's it's everywhere around us at different points, particularly this last variant is so, so much more contagious. But no, we shouldn't throw up our arms because us, around us are other people who are more vulnerable. So just because someone has, has had it doesn't mean that they can't get it again, and they can. And uh, those people who are the most vulnerable are the ones we definitely don't want to get this virus Again, we know that people who are vaccinated or who have had some form of the, um, usually had some form of the virus, are not getting as sick as people who are not vaccinated. That's definitely true. But we still don't know enough about COVID um, virus to say that everybody should just go take their chances and get sick. As you pointed out at the beginning of the show, um, we, we don't know what long COVID looks like. And we don't, we can't make all these predictions because it hasn't been here long enough for us to to make those predictions, to decide how people are going to end up, how sick people are going to end up, or what the long-term variations um, in illness are going to be. Okay, well, thanks for that information. And in the U.S., we currently have several vaccines are available. And I know a lot of people that prefer one vaccine over another, but do we actually know if one vaccine is in fact better? We initially thought that um, the uh, first set of vaccines that came out had uh, higher effectiveness, but we have shown through um, uh, through time that the um, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, the third variation to come out, 
for second variation but third vaccine to come out has is very effective as well. So it's still what vaccine that you can get is the one that you should get to, that you should receive. The one that you're closest to is the one that you should receive, that you're more able to get access to is the one that you should receive. Okay, that's really good information because I know a lot of people are like holding out for a specific vaccine and waiting. So that's definitely not something to do is wait for a specific vaccine. No, if you haven't been vaccinated, get vaccinated. You know, that okay. idea that everybody will um, be infected, it's so much more, you have so much a higher chance, particularly with this latest virus, it is so much more contagious. It's gone like, it's ripped through our communities like wildfire. Dr. Owen, another thing I keep hearing a lot about is this long COVID. Can you explain exactly what is long COVID? I want to go back to a previous question that you asked. Another thought came to me as far as people, this inevitability and just go ahead and take your chances. The other reason not to take your chances is that our hospital systems cannot handle what we're suffering right now with, and, and people might be tired of hearing this, but you know, it's healthcare providers right now are exhausted and, um, and are leaving healthcare because of COVID and the numbers of people coming into our hospitals. So if you don't get it so that you don't, if you don't get vaccinated and don't try to avoid this virus so that you don't, not so that you can protect other people, or if that's not enough for you, think about what this is doing to our hospital systems and our care providers right now. It's, uh, it's hard to emphasize enough just the impact this is having on the lives of the people who are taking care of uh, sick folks right now. Um, ask me your question again. I apologize. I was just curious about long COVID. Can you explain exactly what that is? We can't explain exactly what it is, but we know that some people um, seem to be more likely to get co uh, long COVID than others from reports that just came out in the last couple of weeks. And I can't remember what journal they were in, but some people have had other viruses such as Epstein-Barr virus or other factors. I believe there's a set of five factors that make you more susceptible, slightly more susceptible to long COVID. In any rate, long COVID are generally the symptoms that we've heard most people talk about most are um, some fog, mental fog that comes along, extra fatigue, and then for some people, just this inability to uh, fully catch their breath are the symptoms that we seem to hear the most about. And it's long COVID means that even after you are through the uh, viral infection, you know, where you're having the fevers, feeling really wiped out, feeling terrible, short of breath, having difficulty, maybe even in the hospital, long after that period has gone by, you'll continue with these other symptoms. Okay. Does that help? Now, another issue that I, I keep hearing about, a lot of conflicting information, masks and I wonder at this point, should people even bother with the cloth masks in public? Because I hear that they're just not as effective. Can you talk about masks? What are the best masks to wear? We know that the best masks are, um, well, by ma the best masks by far are N95s, and there's a lot of uh, conflicting advice there. I believe that you can go on um, the cdc.gov. I might be wrong, but, but I'm pretty sure you can go on there and find out some references to this N95s. Those are the best ones. If you can't get your hands on those, then the surgical-type masks that we use in clinics are the next, and then finally cloth. If you can't get your hands on anything, then a cloth is uh, is better than, than not wearing a mask at all. And certainly cloth masks are going to be better than, say, wearing a – I've seen a lot of people pulling up their um, balaclavas or their neck scarves or just pulling up their T-shirts over their face. That does nothing. You can see through those um, that fabric. You can see how thin it is. It just um, – particles pass right through there. 
But cloth ones usually are a little bit more dense, not always, and oftentimes they're double-layered, a lot of cloth ones I've seen. So they're still a little bit better than the balaclavas or the or the um, bandanas that people are wearing around their face. <clears throat> but the best by far, the N95s and then the surgical masks after that. Still, anything covering your face is going to be better than nothing. So try that, or try to get the best, but always be covering your face. Now, another thing I see people doing is double masking, like two cloth masks or like a, a, a cloth mask underneath one of those neck gaiters. Any increased protection doing that? Well, the more cloth, the more fabric that um, uh, um, particles have to pass through, the slightly better that you're protected. I haven't seen the data specifically on one piece of cloth versus another. We do know that, again, the surgical masks and the N95s are better than any cloth masks. But the more particles or more layers, the less likely you're going to get particles through them is all that I could say for certain with that. The other thing I think I see so many people not covering their noses and our nose, our nasal passages are directly connected to our um, oral passages, our mouth, which are directly connected to um, our, you know, our trachea, our respiratory um, system. So it's all passing through those. So you have to cover your nose as well. Okay. Okay. Well, folks, we are talking with Dr. Mary Owen about the risks of COVID-19, where we're at right now in the pandemic. And she mentions, make sure you cover that nose. It's not enough just to cover your mouth. You've got to cover your nose as well. If you've got questions or comments, anything related to COVID-19, please give us a call. We've got an expert here who can answer your questions. 1-800-996-2848. Back right after break. Native referees turn their passion for sports into a fulfilling line of work. But as anyone who's been in the stands knows, sports officials endure a barrage of verbal abuse and worse. We'll hear about what draws people to the job and the positive role it plays in the Native civic life. That's on the next Native America Calling. We jint lua such mariam sluten sum kneye to national shatin. Chkukul tausish to skelly such mariam yet sahum. Chkoyment healthcare.gov. Uhaj kukul tausin. 1 800 318 2596. Yes, centers for Medicare u Medicaid services. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Are you keeping up with the massive amount of information coming at you about the pandemic? Are you resigned to avoiding things that you used to enjoy, like restaurants, live music, or powwows, to avoid being infected? We're getting updates on the pandemic today, and if you'd like to join the conversation, please, we'd like to hear from you. 1-800-996-2848. Before we went to break, we were talking with Dr. Mary Owen, and she was explaining uh, some of the ways, the, the right way to wear a mask, the wrong way to wear a mask, what types of masks are the best protectants against the COVID vax, uh, against the COVID virus. And we've got a lot of other questions, just a, a lot of information out there that, that, that I hear and conflicting pieces of information and just a lot of little factoids that I'd really like confirmation on. And Dr. Owen, one thing I'd like to ask you about specifically are these test kits. And I know, um, 
my wife buys a lot of them. We've got a cabinet full of them in the kitchen. And I'm just curious at this point, how effective or how accurate I should say are the test kits? And again, is there a specific test kit that seems to work better than, than others? What are your thoughts on the test kits? So, you know, there are two, there are a couple of different kinds of tests. One that tests for, um, uh, part of the the code of the genetic code of the uh, virus per se, and then others to uh, test uh, for the part that triggers the immune response or parts of the article, um, virus that trigger the immune response. And those uh, first ones are the ones I'm looking for with the part that triggers the immune response tend to be ones that the ones that you can buy that are rapid over the counter at um, at uh, Walmart or, or Walgreens or your local store. And sometimes even our clinics use those as a first first step. And those ones are a little bit less um, uh, sensitive. So sometimes they can miss more than, uh, and that's not very often, but just a tiny bit by scientific standards than um, the ones that look for the uh, um, makeup of the virus itself. And the, vi- the ones that look up for the makeup of the virus itself are uh, take long, take a little bit longer, um, but they tend to be more accurate. So if there's a concern that the first test um, that you might, you know, for instance, people who come in are very symptomatic, particularly symptoms that we know are associated with COVID, like loss of taste or smell, and and not only these situations, but oftentimes people are very symptomatic. They get the test, it's negative. Well, then there's a strong suspicion that that might be a false negative. Correct? That's what we say when it's not. But test isn't is saying that you're negative, but you're not. Then you you might want to go to your clinic and get tested. Particularly, if this is a question of whether you should go back to work or go around school or being around people who might be more susceptible, that's when you go to your clinic or wherever and get that um, other test. Or you could even um, test again. I'd recommend getting the second test, the more uh, sensitive and specific test. Does that help at all? So some of these, in other words, the tests that you're getting, they're perfect. They're, they're most of the time, they're perfectly fine if you have questions because you know you're symptomatic or you're going to be around someone who's really susceptible or in a situation where you might contaminate a lot of people, then you want to, you, you might want to back that test up. Okay. Good information. Folks, we have a caller, Ray. He's listening on KSUT in Shiprock, New Mexico. Ray, you're on Native America Calling. Yeah, okay. Well, thanks for taking my call. Um, my question is um, household pets um, like cats or dogs or domestic uh, animals, can they pass the virus? Okay, Ray. Well, thanks for that question. And Dr. Owen, that's a that's another one of these issues that I've heard some conflicting information on animals, specifically household pets. How susceptible are they to the virus? I think we saw that in the very beginning days. Remember, I think we all remember that story about a dog that there was a question of it passing. But I have not seen anything on um, animals uh, passing that virus since. But I will look into that for you and find out before the end of the show. To be certain. Okay, thank you. We have another caller listening on KZYK in Santee, Nebraska, Melvin. Melvin, you're on Native America Calling. Good morning. Uh, I would like to ask the doctor a question. Friday, I tested positive for the virus. And today, my health care giver tested positive. Uh, what do we do once we have it? Is there 
Should we drink more blood? What kind of food or what or medicine should we take? Because today the nurse came and uh, checked me over, and she says, I'm getting a little raspy in the lungs. So she's concerned. So she's coming back tomorrow. But what should we be doing? Should we drink a gator aid or should we, what should we be doing to help ourselves while we're sick? Well, Melvin, I certainly hope uh, for a speedy recovery. I'm so sorry to hear that, that you've tested positive. I, I hope you're you're hanging in there. And let's go ahead and let Dr. Owen comment on that. What is, what's the best course of action right now for Melvin, Dr. Owen, considering that he has tested positive? It's such a good question, um, sir, and I'm sorry that you're sick. The best thing you can do, you know, when you get any virus like a cold are um, what we call supportive cares. That means pushing fluids, increasing your fluids, um, resting, taking ibuprofen or Tylenol if you're able to for your aches and pains. And it, particularly if you have, you know, if you have asthma, then keeping up with your um, routine medications that you would use for asthma, or if you have COPD, chronic obstructive lung disease, or often called emphysema, then come up with, keep up with your medications and be monitoring for that roughness that your nurse is looking for as well. The main thing that we are concerned with with uh, COVID, or we're, we're watching for with COVID, we're sending um, in on the tribal clinics that I work for. If we are worried, we will send people home with what's called a pulse oximeter, and it measures your oxygen levels. So your nurse is—that's um, what she's getting concerned about. Are you getting lower on your oxygen status? And those are the folks that we need to um, sometimes bring into the hospital to support their respiratory. You know, people can get a pneumonia on top of—that's the most commonly uh, bad association with COVID is a pneumonia. And so she, in those cases, we'd need to bring people to the hospital and support them with uh, oxygen through the ventilators or maybe not the ventilators, maybe just some extra oxygen. But what you can do at home, again, are those supportive cares, drinking lots of fluids, resting, taking uh, medication like Tylenol or ibuprofen for inflammation, eating um, if you're able to, if you can keep it up. If you're not, then you might want to just see if you can get past um, what we call clears, which are broths or um, or jello to keep up your um, energy and your strength. Dr. Owen, there's also this COVID pill, this oral antiviral pill that I hear about for when you are COVID positive. Is Can you talk about that? Is that something to consider? Um, this is still pretty new, and I don't believe that it's out on the market yet. So um, yet to, to know how um, much we can rely on that, unless um, for sometimes for colds or um, flus, we have used uh, um, an antiviral medication that, if given in time, can shorten the course. I don't know that we are using that with COVID-19, however. I have not uh, heard that, but I could be wrong, and it'd be important to ask your own provider about that. But again, they have to be taken in the okay, time well, to... We have some questions regarding vaccines, but before we talk about vaccines, I would like to also bring in some tribal public health questions. And we're joined today also by Hopi Chairman, Chairman Nuvanyama. And Chairman Nuvanyama, we're just starting a third year of dealing with the pandemic. And I'm interested in knowing how has it been for you as a tribal leader to deal with COVID in your community? 
Well, thank you for that question. Thanks for inviting us uh, to speak about Hopi's uh, situation when it comes to COVID, Sean. Um, I, I think it's been like every in most tribal communities, it hasn't been easy um, hearing about this uh, impacting the world and, you know, so keeping an eye on it is slowly, you know, across the borders here into the United States and uh, locally and finally onto the Hopi Reservation. Um, you know, having to look at your emergency response protocols. And because this was a health pandemic, it really wasn't, uh, it was non-existent in a lot of our protocols. So number one, having to develop policy and coordinating with our healthcare center because it is a pandemic and um, how we're going to address this as a government and, you know, within our communities uh, was was really difficult. Um, it hasn't been easy. And you know, it hasn't subsided. We are also talking about the Omicron and the contagious uh, impact it has and how fast it spreads. Uh, it's ongoing, uh, as Dr. Owen uh, explained, and I'm really grateful to her for her education, um, you know, and providing some valuable information to the listeners. Uh, we're tired, and our entire community is, uh, you know, tired healthcare workers, um, our local community service administrators, our CHRs, uh, medical transport, you name it, uh, those that have been on the front lines of this uh, pandemic, um, you know, are fatigued. Uh, but, you know, we are committed to providing the safety uh, for our community in the best way we can. But uh, it, it's been very difficult on a number of different factors. And, you know, that may be something, uh, other questions that will lead into some of the answers I'll be providing today. Well, Chairman, I, you know, you mentioned fatigue, and I think so many communities are just really burned out at this point. Again, going into the third year, I don't think most of us really anticipated that we'd still be dealing with all of these issues here in the year 2022. But I'm curious, you mentioned safety measures. What types of safety measures have you put in place lately there at Hopi? Uh, well, we've done everything. Well, let me just, I think uh, to preface the safety measures today, what um, we've done here when the pandemic first hit, um, we didn't hesitate. We looked at federal partners and everybody we could pull in. So um, we connected with the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, and we're very encouraged by their uh, efforts to help. Um, we spoke to them, and within about a week's time, we had uh, boots on the ground, and we had what we uh, they were called Team One, and came in and really began looking at the you know Hopi Reservation. And what's unique about Hopi, we have 12 sovereign villages who operate uh, on their own. So as a tribal government coming together to try to provide some kind of guidelines that we can have our community members, businesses, villages follow um, was important. So, you know, putting all this in place and the villages taking action of their own, actually locking down their villages to only village members. Uh, we had put in our executive orders, stood up our emergency operations center, um, we put in other executive orders, curfews. Uh, we even locked down our reservation for a period of time to try to slow the spread. We asked our off-reservation community members to please refrain from coming home if you did not have to. The best way to communicate with your loved ones was using technology via the phone, uh, social networks, um, 
you know, uh, everything you could possibly use, which, you know, uh, technology providing that today was really, you know, helpful. But advancing to where we're at now because of the spike and some of the guidelines that we've created, uh, we have um, gating criteria for some of the percentages as it reaches a certain point. Uh, we do look at our protocols uh, that are put in place. So we did scale back recently and put our reservation back in a phase two area, which is uh, limiting uh, access to uh, work. You know, the social uh, distancing is always applied, but that's reinforced. Um, and the number of uh, people allowed in certain areas, which applies to some of our businesses, we've had to go back to there. But uh, you know, understanding that there are different components to it, such as the vaccinations, really had us taken another look at some of our protocols and processes on how this uh, impacts some of our gating criteria that we established pre-COVID. So it's really been lessons learned, and um, we do have a lot of our protocols in place now. So really back to what we know was effective in protecting our community is what we went back to. So recently, we're back to a phase two. Now, Chairman, have you had to cancel a lot of community events over the last couple of years? And if so, how does the community react when that happens? Sean, we have most definitely had to cancel events. And I'm talking now from a uh, cultural, traditional standpoint. Um, our village leaders, uh, you know, the respective leaders for the villages, because we have our traditional cycle that we hold on to, um, it wasn't easy. And I'm sure for them it wasn't easy having to make these type of decisions because we are still so closely grounded to who we are as a people. And to cancel some of these uh, traditional ceremonial events and, and uh, everything associated with them wasn't easy. So that is one that comes to the surface in my mind all the time because these are critical times in even the development of our youth, our children, uh, and it impacts the language because this is where they learn uh, from the elders a lot more, Putting in, uh, being in that setting, uh, the Hopi language, the traditions, the customs, everything that's associated with them for both uh, young boys and girls, males, females, and carrying out that component. Um, but we don't stray from that because in our heart, we know we're true to who we are, so we continue with prayer, and these cycles are able to continue, but not at the level that uh, we're used to. So uh, that's you know coming from the cultural traditional component. Um, of course, running a government, we still have to provide the services because we are a service-orientated government, but having to cancel some of the larger meetings um, was really a no-brainer for us because we're working to try to contain and stop the movement of this virus, but a number of different um, things, especially culturally, had to be put on hold. I won't say canceled, but be put on hold for the time being. Well, Chairman, thanks for providing that information, and I know how deeply rooted ceremonies are up at Hopi, and, and thanks for sharing because I, I realize that must just be a huge adjustment for so many families, and you mentioned the young people as well, and, and maybe not being able to, to speak with elders and whatnot. I'm curious also, Chairman, what are the vaccination rates like for Hopi right now? 
Well, we've been fortunate, and just hearing from other tribal leaders, I think Native America, what's unique is that the turnout for vaccinations have been um, really positive, and it's no different for us out here on Hopi. Uh, the recent uh, vaccination rates that we received um, for our total on-reservation population were upwards at 78% um, uh, vaccination wow. rate, and it even goes up with uh, 79% for all of the eligible population, which means five years and up. And to clarify, I did ask, does this include the boosters? And I was informed that it does. So um, fully vaccinated, uh, you know, those are our current rates, uh, 79% for all eligible population. Uh, but it's been... <laughs> Uh, really an aggressive effort to get that messaging out to our community members and, um, you know, having those community members come in to get the vaccination. Uh. Folks, we'll be back right after break. Are you a Native American healthcare provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin a seven-month advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass looks through the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach to provide powerful, proven modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is February 21st. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Thanks for listening. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Are you confused about everything you're hearing about the pandemic? Have you relaxed your own safety precautions to try and avoid infection? We're getting updates from a medical standpoint today, and there's still time to get in on the conversation. So please give us a call 1-800-996-2848. Before we went to break, we were listening to Hopi Chairman Timothy Nuvanyama. And he was explaining the highly successful vaccination efforts there at Hopi. Chairman, please continue your thoughts. Um, as I was saying earlier before the break, um, I'm pretty happy about the success we've had. But again, there's been a lot of work. It's been a concerted effort and an aggressive communications effort uh, between not only the tribal government, but uh, our Hopi Healthcare Center, as well as community Community has really played a big role in us in coming together, what we call Samitanangwa, you know, coming together for the betterment of all people. And, um, you know, that attributes to some of the successes we've had. Of course, just like many other communities, other communities in uh, Indian country, uh, we still have those that are um, refusing to get the vaccination for their own reasons. But um, I think some of these personal experiences that they've encountered with their loved ones, friends, close, someone close to them having to see, you know, some of the suffering, uh, some have actually made the hard decision to go and get their first shot, which is really helpful. And I've just heard that over the weekend also that uh, we had uh, someone that just recently went in and decided uh, to get their first shot. Um, so we continue with the messaging campaign and Hopefully, we'll improve on these numbers. Okay. Well, another question I have, Chairman, is, you know, we see all of this constant back and forth with regard to safety measures, and I'm interested in learning, have you as a tribal leader learned anything that could help with other health issues? For example, how to better communicate with citizens, what measures seem to work and what don't, or just ways to stay connected with your community. Any thoughts on that, Chairman? 
I think that's a super great question, Sean. Um, this has really opened up our eyes to uh, our uh, health situation out here on Hopi. I mean, we are still plagued with diabetes, hypertension, high blood pressure, uh, cardio uh, issues, and um, obesity, which leads to a lot of this. And from the COVID pandemic, it's really highlighted a lot of the health disparities that uh, we deal with out here on Hopi. And it's probably safe to say, you know, with a lot of other tribal communities as well. So, uh, you know, we we are, you know, looked at trying to create a more robust healthcare uh, scene out here for Hopi to address a lot of these multiple areas. We do have some programs who are doing a great job doing that, but uh, I think a little bit more focus on that to try to offset um, you know, some of the effects uh, such as COVID that they, you know, really exacerbated uh, is something that we're now focusing on um, a lot more and do want to pay a little bit more attention to that. Uh, I do have to say, though, that, you know, for Hopi, um, well, it could have been a lot worse, but overall, in general, I want to say that our, you know, population out here was fairly healthy. But, you know, some of these underlying uh, health disparities still plague us, and we want to be able to um, address some of those issues and make sure that we are providing the proper services that tribal government should be providing uh, in connection with our health care center as well. Well, thank you, Chairman Nuvanyama. And it's really enlightening to consider these issues from the perspective of a tribal leader such as yourself. Folks, we have a caller listening in Anchorage, Alaska on KNBA. Katagak, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much. Um, so my question is, is people that are getting a vaccine are still getting sick when in fact these vaccines are supposed to protect us, then why are we still getting sick? If the vaccines are safe and to protect against the Delta, the Omicron, and whatever else that's coming down the pipes. Um, so that would be my first question. Okay, and your second question? Um, so my other question, I think it's more of a statement, um, the highwire.com and also a couple other resources um, Dr. Mark McDonald, United States of Fear, as well as Dr. Simone Gold, uh, Dr. Peter McClough, and Dr. Robert Malone. Um, so instead of being in fear of what is intentionally being put upon us, um, I would start questioning what's in these shots and why are they pushing it so hard? Um, and so, but if people can just start doing the research and stop getting these vaccines, start believing in the great spirit, um, God, Jesus, Father, um, and please start living life again. Okay, well, thank you for those questions. And let's bring Dr. Owen back into the conversation because this is definitely in Dr. Owen's wheel well. Dr. Owen, question number one is, a vaccinated person that's still getting sick. Yeah, I think there's a lot of folks that, that fall into that category. So the question was, why is that happening? And is that something to be overly concerned about? 
We know that even people who are vaccinated will get uh, can get sick from the virus. The point is that they're far less likely to get seriously sick, be on the ventilator, and to die than people who are uh, not vaccinated at all. And any, if you look up um, any of the studies, you'll you'll find that same you'll find that out. So we know that the vaccines don't protect you, uh, totally protect you from getting it, but they will prevent the serious disease and death that comes with this uh, virus. As to why we're pushing the vaccine, you said at the beginning of your show, 880,000 deaths, um, 800,080 deaths, uh, 800,000 deaths, almost 900,000 deaths is why we're pushing this vaccine. Those countries that have done a great job of pushing the vaccine and have held to mandates to include masks and not let um, other forces uh, wave this disease through our through our communities have done much better. China has a death rate from our mortality rate from COVID of about 5,000, despite having a population that is many times our own. And particularly for Native Americans, we, you know, we've seen this before with H1N1, we died at four times the rate of non-Native people. We can't keep doing this. We of all people need this vaccine more than other populations. We, we can't lose more of our people. We can't lose our youth. We can't lose, lose, our, lose our elders. We can't lose any of us. We don't have enough people as it is because we've been wiped out from different diseases. So this is the one time, you know, this is one time when we really have to join with other, um, not one time, there are many times, but we have double checked along with other scientists. You know, African-American scientists have had the same concerns African-American doctors, same concerns as their community members um, with uh, historical mistrust and have backed up some of the same data themselves going in and testing and saying, are these vaccines safe for our population? Yes. Um, are these measures safe for our population? Yes. So it's not just, we're not just leaving this up to the federal government to tell us what to do. We're going in, making sure that it's correct for our populations and then trying to prevent the, the devastation that we're seeing now. Well, thanks for that background. And, you know, the caller mentioned fear, and obviously this has been a hugely emotionally taxing time that we've all gone through as Native people, and it's been very polarizing with regard to the vaccines, and you know, the caller mentioned fear of, of becoming vaccinated and whatnot. And, you know, you gave some really good information there in terms of just the magnitude of this illness and the number of deaths, but is there anything else that that we can say even amongst just families when, when you when you hear people that are hesitant about the vaccines or concerned about some of these issues that that we hear about dr owen anything that you can any advice you can offer just to to make people feel safe and confident that these vaccines are are definitely the way to go I would ask people to um, ask, where is that fear coming from? Unfortunately, what happened in this country is that a health event was made political. And people are gaining ground or gaining political points by continuing to push this fear that you know, we already have fear of institutions. If, um, Native people have a fear of our institutions because of uh, a long history of um, bad deeds on the part of the government and our institutions. And that fear has been fed upon. And that's if you, but if you ask, what do the people who are pushing the vaccines have to gain? Well, none of us have any stock in these vaccines. 
none of us have um, any anything to gain at all from pushing these vaccines except for the safety and well-being of our communities. I know that's not always going to convince our family members, um, but I also don't know what else to say except to ask people specifically, what is it that, you con that concerns you? To me, that seems to be the only thing, and leaving that window open to just gently answer questions to, for people, that seems to be the only thing that's working in our clinics is just leaving it open. If you'd like to talk about the vaccines, you just let me know. If you'd like to talk about the virus, you just let me know and we'll talk about it. But acute, um, but um, this dividedness that gets worse when we point fingers and say, why haven't you got this? Why are you doing that? Is not working. We need to talk with each other and gently explain the reasoning behind these and address the fears that people have. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's where I'm at right now with my patients. It makes a lot of sense. And I think that not only just talk, but I think we have to, to be really open-minded and, and be compassionate with people that maybe don't agree with us. And I think there's a lot of times this immediate response when you hear somebody that's like really anti-vax to kind of just shut them down and write them off is just not really making sense. And I don't think that's helpful either. I think we need to be really compassionate and, 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 and speak with people and, and still respect their opinions and be courteous in how we respond to them. Now, Dr. Owen, again, with regard to the, to the vaccinations, you know, I, I took my two vaccinations and I just got boosted uh, in December after six months for that second dose, like, like so many people. And now my thoughts are, you know, am I going to need another booster in another six months or next year? And I'm concerned, like, and I think a lot of people are with regard to like, are, are these boosters just going to become a reality going forward year after year? Or will we reach a point where we might not need the, the boosters? What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, with a flu shot, we get an annual booster, right? Basically, that's what it is. We're getting a new, um, and it's based on what the latest variants that, are, that uh, we're starting to see in the population. So I think that we're probably going to have to do the same thing with uh, COVID-19. And think, uh, again, think about what could happen if we don't protect our population with these boosters. You know, we could see, I, I don't know how to hit this harder than 900,000 people have died um, a disproportionate number of them being Native Americans, African Americans, populations of color, you know. So we have to, if that's what the evidence is saying that we have to do, we just have to do it to protect our people. We, it's not, people, I, I think, it's not just the numbers of deaths. Think of everything that's happening around us. Think about, as, as Chairman Novinyama, Yoma, uh, Yama, I, I apologize, because it's such a beautiful name for mispronouncing it. As he pointed out, all the different, you know, we have in this town, we have our assistant superintendent um, as, as a substitute in our schools because our teachers are so exhausted. And everybody and the anxiety levels that I'm seeing in my patients and in, in my family and in our community are through the roof. We can't keep doing this. We will if we have to. We will continue to care for people. But the toll that this has taken on vulnerable populations is, is astronomical. We have to do what it takes. Sure, sure. Well, let's bring 
Chairman Nuvanyama back into the conversation because he just shared earlier how successful their vaccination efforts have been at Hopi, almost 80%. So, Chairman, what has been the response there at Hopi when dealing with folks that are very, very hesitant to get the vaccine? How do you handle those those issues? Well, I think it's challenging for any community, uh, just as it is for Hopi, but we continue with our messaging campaign and a lot of it is, you know, based upon what we've encountered. Uh, this COVID, this, you know, even this variant, the new one that's out, it doesn't discriminate against anybody. And that's part of our messaging. Um, and it hurts when we have knowledge keepers that it impacts because some that are refusing to get the vaccination, uh, if they get um, uh, affected by it and turn a positive, you know, it's going into different uh, households and for reservations across Native America, you know, we live in multi-family uh, uh, households, which means that you have these huge clusters that happen. Contact tracing is, you know, just reaches a multitude of individuals. So we continue with that messaging campaign. And uh, Dr. Owen mentioned something incredible about people, uh, you know, being exhausted. And it's the same way with our education system. Our students are completely impacted when it comes to the education um, school leadership has been incredible, but, you know, I mean, we have to continue messaging, uh, you know, the purpose of the vaccination is, you know, and I respect everyone's decision here, but you're basically doing this not only for yourself, but for others around you to help keep them safe, everybody from the elders and what we've been calling the new vulnerable population, and that's the uh, age demographic for and under that don't have a choice at this time. So, Please, everybody out there listening, if you're hesitant, think about others around you and please uh, consider getting the vaccination. You're not only helping yourself, but you're helping, you know, your loved ones, your family members, elders, young ones who don't have a choice around you. Um, and we'll continue uh, with that messaging campaign. Well, thank you for those words of encouragement, Chairman. Folks, I'm sorry, but that's all the time we have for today's show. I do want to thank my guests, Dr. Mary Owen and Chairman Timothy Navanyama, for bringing us up to speed with the latest facts and information concerning COVID-19. We're back in another tomorrow with another awesome live show about the shortage of native sports officials and what it takes to be a referee in Indian country. I'm Sean Spruce. Stay strong, stay safe. <laughs> Looking to get your high school diploma? Southwestern Indian Polytechnic Institute offers Native Americans ages 18 or older training and preparation courses for the high school equivalency diploma. In person and online beginning May 4th. All attendance and testing fees for this program are waived and resources will be available to help with supplies and living expenses. Space is limited. Application deadline is April 8th. More by calling 505-382-4287 or at sipi.edu who support this show. 
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.